0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the unnamed Wisecrack Movie Podcast. My name is Jared, joined here by our video editor, Ryan. Hey, film fans. And one of Wisecrack's writers and researchers, Austin Smith. Hey, hey. So this is the third episode of the Wisecrack Movie Podcast. We started off with two very dense, uh, pretty uh, good art house movies that uh, would definitely had a lot to break down. We started with Mother and Drive, and today... We're breaking down a slightly different kind of movie. We are doing <laughs> Boss Baby, directed by Tom McGrath, <laughs> and I also think that this is the first time that we're watching a movie that all of us had not seen before deciding to do this podcast. Is yeah. that? Is that? I know that's right for Ryan. Is that right for you, Austin?
1: That's a hundred percent right for me. And I actually want to know whose idea was it that we do Boss Baby. Uh,
0: <laughs> so I wanted to do some. I wanted to have a variety. Yeah, why did I watch this? I had. Uh, I wanted to have a variety of things, you know, to see, you know, just to see what kind of stuff we come upon or, you know, does the does our chemistry work best when we're talking about different kind of stuff. And uh, one of the one of our writers, AJ, was like, dude, this movie Boss Baby is bizarre. And I was like, it is. He's like, yeah. Like if I summarized the plot to you, you wouldn't believe me. And I was like, (laughs) Okay, well, that sounds too good not to not to dive in. So, even though people have already been pretty clear about what they thought about the movie, I do want to get some first
1: reactions. So, wait, let's wait, wait, t- real quick, so so this is AJ's fault, is what we're saying, AJ. <laughs> okay, then real quick, yeah, yeah, I just it's... have to say, hey, hey, AJ, if you're listening, hey, fuck you, AJ. <laughs> <That's> right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's start with Austin then. Austin, give us your uh, your reactions to this film, if I may call it that.
1: So I uh, it's it's not sat well with me since the viewing. I actually uh, when I first was watching it, I was kind of like, OK, you know, there's got the typical mix of like humor and kid or I mean, adult humor and kid humor so that everyone can watch this. And then I also I had to look up and see how much money it made and it made a half a billion dollars. So I was like, OK, so this was popular at least. Even though, like, the Rotten Tomato score is pretty poor. But um, anyway, so critics didn't love it, but audiences did. So then I was thinking about it from within that framework. And so when I first was watching it, I was like, my God, this movie is batshit crazy. So in a sense, I'm like, man, super creative, super creative, interesting idea. But then it just struck me how dark and subversive this film is. Yes, yes. And all I I could think about today was how (laughs) gross – and subversive and dangerous this fucking movie what? is. And yes, I <laughs> yes. see. This I, is why we're doing it. <laughs> oh my god, I find this movie to be horrible. And uh, wow. yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. I see, mean, you just got me so
0: excited because this is uh, this is, this is why this that that's the kind of reaction <laughs> that, that I was hoping. Um, Ryan, before you before you start, I was a little bit. You know, I mean, Ryan and I. I've I've known Ryan for a, a while now, and uh, a lot of our friendship has been based on movies, or at least that was the origin of our friendship. So I watched this, and I was like, man, I don't know if Ryan's going to love this or hate this. But <laughs> anyway, so Ryan, I won't put words in your mouth. Take it away.
2: Well, I honestly had a mixture of both, believe it okay. or not. Uh, uh, what I would say is that the first act of this movie is Awesome, kind of like uh there's some the the setup is insane like you like you said if you said it you if you told someone they would not believe you um and the jokes were funny like i actually was laughing but then it just quickly devolved after pretty much the the pretty awesome setup then it very quickly devolved into a just very shitty kids movie that was painfully unfunny and Mm -hmm. all the Tropes, and then it, and then like the climax of the movie happens, and then like another twenty minutes goes on. You know, there's yes. like, I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, uh, at, at a minute, uh, yeah, like an hour fifteen. I'm like, how could there possibly be twenty more minutes in this movie?
0: But, yeah, it was a long ninety minutes for me. It, it was uh, ni- it a, was, it
2: was, yeah, it was a uh, uh, ninety minutes and seven minutes. So ninety 97. seven. minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So let me let me uh, for for those people who have not seen the movie or seen the movie recently, I'm going to go through a quick recap before we start breaking down what we Oh, you know what? Actually, I didn't say what I thought about the movie. Oh, before yeah. we get into the recap, I don't know what to think. I honestly <laughs> was just beside myself and kind of to Austin's point, I was like, "Oh, yeah, this is creative and it's bizarre. Is that a good thing? Am I in- cuz like I was just blown away. Just couldn't believe what I was seeing and I don't really watch a lot of kids' movies that isn't Pixar, yeah. so I don't have a lot to compare it to. But I did think that the animation was pretty good and funny. And, and actually, when I thought about the hours of painstaking work <laughs> it took to sell some of these jokes, like I just had to believe that the animators were like, wait, what am I animating right now? You know, <laughs> But, but, the, but they, they they put their heart and soul into it. I,
2: I, I did not uh, – I'm very curious to see why Austin thinks it's such a per- perverse uh, – I didn't get that impression at all. All right. Well, let me
0: just go through the recap first. So, youngster Tim Templeton has a perfect family life as an only child until one day his father asks, how would you like a baby brother? Cut to a celestial corporation where babies come off an assembly line and are filtered to either be paired with a family or become of baby corp management. We follow Boss Baby as he gets sent to management and ultimately arrives in a taxi at Tim's front door and Tim's parents introduce him as his new baby brother, seemingly not concerned at all with the fact that he has a suit and a briefcase. Tim is jealous of the attention the new baby is getting and confused as to why the baby is wearing a suit. Tim decides to investigate and discovers that not only can the baby talk, but he's been sent here to take down Puppy Co., which is on the brink of a scientific breakthrough in cute puppy technology that will plummet baby's market share of love. (laughs) If if Boss Baby succeeds, he'll become a corporate rock star baby like his idol, super colossal, big fat Boss Baby, complete with his own corner office. So motivated to get him out of his life. And and his own potty. And his own potty. Golden potty. (laughs) Golden (laughs) potty. Motivated to get him out of his life, Tim teams up with Boss Baby to infiltrate Puppy Co., where they discover that the CEO Francis Francis is none other than super colossal big fat Boss Baby all grown up, creating a new forever puppy to spite Baby Corp., who replaced him after the baby formula keeping him young stopped working. With this new puppy, no one will ever want a baby again. So Boss Baby and Tim make it to the Las Vegas unveiling of the Forever Puppy and successfully stop Puppy Co. from launching a puppy into every country in the world simultaneously with a rocket and save Tim's parents. Boss Baby gets his dream promotion at Baby Corp for stopping Puppy Co., but both Tim and Boss Baby grow lonely without each other. So Tim sends Boss Baby a package full of beads that represent love, making Boss Baby decide to resign, sabotage the project he's leaving, and go be a real baby with Tim and his family. Then, this is my favorite part, then it turns out the whole movie is a story that old Tim is telling his daughter, who asks him, is that a true story, Daddy? And he just says... Welp, sweetie, that's how I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) So then grown-up Boss Baby joins them as they look on Tim's new baby, a girl in a suit and tie. End of film.
1: So uh, I'm actually curious
0: if anyone who hasn't seen this movie was able to listen to that and, like, follow along or, you know, draw any kind of coherent narrative out of
1: that. Um, Yeah, it is pretty batshit crazy. Yeah. Uh, how it kind of goes. And then the, the the sort of intertextual references are crazy, too. There's like this Fountain of Youth story. There's like a Peter Pan never growing up. But if you go out of that world, then you do grow up sort of weird intertextual reference. Then there's like film references. You got the Indiana Jones reference. You got like a Matrix reference. I mean, it was kind of all over the place with you its own. You got illusions. a Glengarry
2: Glen Ross reference. The whole thing is a <laughs> Glengarry Glenn right. Ross reference. Which
1: is great because Alec Baldwin obviously was in that. So... Let's start with what do we think that the movie is saying? So
0: I have some points written Uh. down like there's obviously love as a finite resource is something that is, I guess, supposedly disproven by the end of the movie. My my question is is if this is all just a story that Adult Tim is trying to tell his daughter in order to communicate the message that a there's plenty of love for everyone and that b should be should be she should be excited and open minded with the arrival of her new baby sister then why did he tell it in this needlessly complicated story <laughs> which also just doesn't make sense because like in that final scene when it widens out he's like it's a picture book it's like a family picture book how would he be telling a false exaggerated story big fish style if he's telling it through pictures that are all polaroids of his actual family history
2: the answer is don't think about it
1: the answer is don't okay (laughs) well that's what we do here at this podcast ryan (laughs) the answer is because this is a film study in what jacques lacan would call epistemic paranoia yes this is a film about paranoia this is This is not a film that's meant to be like, is this real or isn't this real? That's the the surface level reading and that's interesting. But no, this is a film about paranoia and projection. So what you have at the beginning is you have Tim, right, who has this perfect harmonious familial – Uh, set up right where he's got this overactive imagination which they set up really hard that he's already a dreamer he already lives in the fantasy world right Right. he doesn't live in the real world so to speak he lives Uh through his imagination and his parents facilitate that and they love him and they equally love him too so there's no like if i'm talking about lacan then we have to talk about freud there's no problem there with the sort of like the divisions of love in this oedipal triangle right there's this harmonious relationship, which is bullshit, first of all, right? Well, he does um, say a so triangle that, is the most – the strongest yeah. shape. <laughs> right, right. So that's 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 problem one. But um, what it ends up turning into is that you have this harmonious relationship that gets disrupted because, like you said, Jared, there isn't enough love when this new baby comes along, right? So the boy then, Tim, feels this paranoia because the objects of his desire, which are his parents – are no longer able to be reached. They're no longer able to satisfy. So what does he have to do? He has to project his own paranoia that this baby is like this infiltrating spy sent from this Illuminati corporation to come in and disrupt the family relationship by selling puppy love and displacing human (laughs) beings in favor of nature. So what he does is he projects his paranoia onto this baby and he creates this entire fantastic scenario. The whole movie is paranoia because of scarcity in the face of the object of your desire because you can't get what you want so you project your paranoia onto everything. Well, that's what this fucking movie is. Yeah, because I mean
0: because Duh. especially <laughs> since
1: especially since at the end like yeah, once again,
0: this is all something that's just coming right out of Tim's mind. This is a story that he tells himself to I guess make sense of his real life baby brother coming and I guess, you know, throwing his world into a crisis. But yeah, I mean we have to yeah, look it's a at projection. the details. Does, here. Yeah, it's it, we like it's he fair. feels
1: he feels he feels the inadequacies. So then what does he have to do? He has to project his inadequacies onto his family or onto the baby. So you're always looking outside of yourself rather than realizing the trauma with the trauma of the felt loss within yourself.
2: Well, so does that mean that none of this none of the corporate the trip to the corporation ever happened?
0: No, well, it's that, all yeah. fantasy.
1: It's all paranoia.
0: Because we have to, like, it's fair to psychoanalyze Tim, <laughs> since once again this whole thing is just a story that he tells himself and his daughter that somehow enables him to make sense of, I guess, the conflict with his when his baby brother came into the world. Well, do you think it's? Yeah,
2: it, it, is it really Tim as an adult believing this, or is it Tim kind of making this story up to appe- to, to teach the lesson to his kid? It's a that's really round.
0: That's a really roundabout way. <laughs> to get that message. I mean, that's like a very simple message.
2: Like, hey, I there's know, enough love for everybody. Because he's a fucking sociopath.
1: Because <laughs> he's a fucked up dude, yeah. That's, th- and that's that's what I think is one of, the, I have two points that I think are subversive. One is because it's selling a really dangerous vision of the family. So, like, from a, from a psychoanalytic perspective, Freud would argue that the, someone's well-adjusted if they sort of, like, cope with and go through the sort of problems that arise in the tensions of the Oedipus complex, right? That's what being well-adjusted is. It's kind of figuring, ah, oh, fuck, I can't always have the object of my desire and there's castration which Lacan takes to be more of a symbolic thing and it's not like a literal thing you don't actually get your dick chopped off or something but it's like someone says no the authority says no you can't have the object of your desire so you have to cope with that you have to realize that life is filled with that sort of like traumatic disconnect right but what this film sells you is that no you can love is infinite and we can love both of you with all of our hearts right. and there's no such thing as lack and that somehow and then what I think is even worse and this is where it feeds into the second point is that actually that there is such a thing as like the pure family unit that is devoid of any sort of external pressures and that all you need are each other. And I, and I think that there's something lovely about this idea that love binds people and you can do things together. But that's kind of a load of horse shit, man. So, is,
0: so you're saying that the <laughs> boss baby was right, is that there, love is like a business and that there is a finite market share of love.
1: Well, what I would say is that Tim is right. His paranoia, he's hes actually – and this is where I think this is where the ideology comes in. At the end, they sort of make it like, oh, it was just a story. It was just his imagination, his overactive imagination, or it's just a story that he's telling. When in reality, his paranoia is actually the right position to hold. It is true that there is – there are economic pressures that are coming in and it is true that socioeconomic uh, and cutthroat, unloving, uncaring business exists and it does infiltrate the family unit and it does try to sell puppy love or other various Things that are per- perceived to be valuable that disrupt the family union or, or maybe not that disrupt it because then that implies that the family unit is pure in the first place. But that influence the construction of the family unit. But what the film does is it says, no, that's not really real though. What's real is love. And so that's the ideology is that it rejects the pressures that are actually endemic to to Western society that that result from being a part of this sort of global capitalist market. So but I, it so, rejects so- them and it says that. Ah. So, if I were to simplify
0: what you're saying, basically, like, and I think that there is a present theme of kind of careerism versus family and that's kind of clunkily awkwardly embodied in the boss baby who says things like i'm not a family man i uh i belong behind a desk or you know in the moment of crisis in the film tim says do you even care my parents are in danger and he says of course i care baby corp will go out of business and then he's like (laughs) and then tim's like oh that's all you ever talk about you don't know what it's like to be part of a family And then Boss Baby says, and you don't know what it's like to have a job.
1: So, so, um,
0: yeah. Oh, oh, and then the best part is uh, then Tim says, Stop acting like a baby, and he's like, "You're a baby."
1: <laughs> so yeah. I mean, well, it is it is interesting in a way. They almost make they're 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 almost trying to make it seem like to be a fully fledged human is to love and have a caring family union unit, whereas to be a baby is to be a part of like the business cycle or part of like the business the, the cutthroat world of business, which is an interesting dichotomy. But on the other
0: hand, there is a very kind of underdeveloped plot trajectory where. Like and I, this is very clumsily implemented. But the so the kid Tim has to teach Boss Baby how to get more in tune with his imagination. Like the way that they defeat the CEO Francis Francis at the end is that uh, they're uh, hovering above the vat of uh, whatever, the Fountain of Youth baby milk or whatever. Secret formula. <laughs> the dude. secret formula. And yeah. by imagining it as a pirate thing, they're able to defeat Francis Francis and send him tumbling into the vat of milk, which I just have to have a small aside here. That makes no sense. Like the movie is shamelessly incoherent because even within the fantasy setting, the whole the, the whole conflict of Francis Francis was that he became immune to the, to the uh, formula because he was lactose intolerant, and then they push him into the pool of this stuff, and he becomes a baby again.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, apparently it has a different effect on you when it soaks through your skin yeah. or something. <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> I <don't> yeah. Know. <laughs> Ryan's just like... <laughs> Duh. Duh. <laughs> it's, no, like, okay, so it's like I was, putting so, drugs so, in your so, so Sorry, the point I yeah, was going back exactly. to was that, so Tim has to teach Boss Baby, I guess, how to be more of a baby or more of a kid by having an imagination, and then Boss Baby... Uh, there's the point where they're running away from the uh, weird kind of like the babysitter dude, and they're on the bike, and the training wheels fall off. And then Boss Baby has to kind of coach him through, no, you're a real man, or like you're, 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 a, you can do this without your training wheels. You know, it's kind of like a pseudo coming of age thing, but it doesn't work because even through that, Boss Baby is using imagination. Once again, they, they uh, imagine it as some sort of motocross. Fantasy right. world in order to get him, so it just doesn't work. But I think at one point it was trying to be like, you know, Boss Baby becomes a little bit more childlike and chill, and and Tim becomes a little bit more of an adult, and there's kind of like this uh, this balance. But I don't think that comes across at all, not
1: not successfully anyway. Right? Um, I mean, it's weird because all those themes are there, right? It's like it's like it's like if you have a a cork board and you like just throw some shit up on it and all the plot points are up there. And they're like, yeah, that, that's a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we got to valorize the imagination. That's good. Coming of age is important. You know, business people, they're cutthroat, but maybe they could learn a little about love, but you know, the, the family unit thing and puppies are, you know, that is a problem, you know, be, I don't know. Population yeah. rates are going down across the developed world. That's something cool. Right. Let's just Pe- fucking throw it. I've got <laughs> I've funny. got two
0: pup. I've got a puppy and no children, so I'm yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm part of the problem.
2: Yeah, exactly. I I, I don't exactly understand though. Like, how 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 did the 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 reversal of the baby and Tim not work for you? Just because they both bro- because
0: basically imagination is the thing that allows both of them to to succeed in both ways. So if it's if the boss baby is trying to teach Tim to be more of an adult or to be more responsible, I guess because we're meant to believe that a careerist businessmen are super responsible, he's only doing it in the same way that Tim teaches him to be more childlike. And both, basically both of these conflicts are overcome through imagination. It's not like that the boss baby is teaching Tim how to, like, you know, write a great memo. Although I guess at the end he does write a letter that is a memo, but I mean that's – I'm giving the film too much credit to to suggest that, like, you know, if it was a a thing where at the beginning Tim didn't know how to write or he was, like, falling behind in, like, his elementary studies Mm -hmm. and Boss Baby taught him, you know, the wonders of writing a memo and that enables him to, you know, it inspires him to learn how to read and write better, then maybe I could see some progress there. But basically I just don't think that anything, there's no real, if it's careerism versus family, once again, doing that through the mouthpiece of a baby once with the with a baby saying things like i'm not a family man i belong i belong behind a desk or my favorite one i wasn't born i was hired like
1: <laughs> it's all
0: it's it's all just kind of nonsensical and yeah once again having a baby you know be this kind of uncaring guy who doesn't care about family life only uh cares about promotion getting ahead in in, in, in the rat race closing just doesn't it's just nonsensical
1: well i mean it just seems like so so at like a surface level, the immediate things that pop out are like the themes are obviously love in a family unit, that there's enough love to go around, that when babies come in, there's this family disruption. But don't worry. Your parents still love you even though, uh, you know, they they got to take this short period of time to devote this attention. But what you can do, it's your responsibility, kid, to adjust yourself and defer your desires and, you know – Play play ball with this new family dynamic, which I'm not saying is a terrible thing, but it's interesting that there is a sort of like passive aggression in that, that it's like, okay, the baby comes in long and it's your responsibility, Tim. You need to you know, take the responsibility to get in line. Like he gets grounded for not treating the baby well. And then it's like, and we're not going to let you out until you can start loving the baby. It's like they're trying to force this on him, right? And so there's these strange themes that come around. And I think when you dig a little deeper, there actually is a really weird subversive ideology that's hiding all of this stuff because it's couching all of these tensions as though they're just a fantasy and that they're just the imagination of this boy that, oh, don't worry. But in reality, love conquers all. But really... The the ideology of business, that kind of business is bad and it's cutthroat and it's unloving, that's real. Like that is real. And this this idea of disruption in the family that comes along, that there's not enough love to go around, that is a problem. Not that I'm saying it ought to be, but that's something that needs to be overcome. Not something that just is a a fiction of a person's paranoid imagination because they're jealous. But no, no, that is an issue that comes along. But what they do is they make it seem like, ah, it's all just part of this funny – all oh, shuck story that this dad is telling to his daughter. And right. then in reality, it isn't the case because it is the case that that I actually think that Tim's paranoia is completely justified. And that that's that's a, that's what actually makes the film interesting, though, is that his his paranoia about this weird, corrupt corporation, not only that where they're making these babies that are coming in to, like, go on these missions to carry out these things that disrupt the family unit or that save the family unit or whatever the fuck they're doing. but also the sort of picture of puppy Co as being this corrupt institution, which again gets justified in the end as all. Oh, that's just again the paranoia of Tim. but in reality, corporations are corrupt. I mean not every single being within the corporation is corrupt, but for the majority uh, across the board, large corporations do uh, answer in a cutthroat it is close, sell. Uh, Was well, that corrupt, though, or is inequality? it just
2: not cold and businesslike? I mean, I know? guess
1: I would I, I would say corrupt, but that's because I'm using a standard that would be opposed to that type of cold business type of mentality um, that you have to do in order to be successful. But, but yeah, but that's the point, though, is it's selling all of that, the, the cold business mentality, as though it's not problematic because it's all in its heightened caricatured state that it's all just a fantasy. But in reality, that is the business world. So I want to read two
0: lines that I think uh, kind of tie into what we're talking about. So the opening line of the movie is survival of the fittest. It's the law of the jungle. They're always someone trying to take what is yours. How do I know? It almost happened to me. And then mm-hmm. the second line, so that's what Tim says. And I guess that's kind of how he frames this whole thing is that, once again, love is like business. Someone is always trying to take away what is yours. And so, I mean, I guess saying it's – but I guess the, then, then the – conclusion of the movie is that oh it's actually not like the jungle because the jungle has finite resources which whereas love has infinite resources but then i think the more interesting arc is with Francis Francis when he tells Tim that hey i'm just like you the things that i cared about the baby corp corporation pushed me out when i started getting older and just like your parents are pushing you out with the new boss baby yeah so i think that that, that that's a that's a better corollary than The boy versus the baby, because Francis Francis, you know, once again, we see that, you know, the cutthroat business world uh, expels him and, you know, comes to really define him and hurt him. And I think that that would probably work as a better parallel. I can't believe I'm talking about Boss Baby like this, but uh, work as a better parallel to um, Tim's struggle. Does that make sense? Does yeah. that make
1: sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and then again, like, in the
2: sense that it should have been more about the, his parents k- kicking him out?
0: I think that, um, once again, careerism versus family. The family thing mostly makes sense, but the careerism thing doesn't make sense because, once again, a, a, a baby that – once again, like, the baby does, doesn't even make sense even within the <laughs> – like, because there's a part where Tim asks the baby, what about your parents? You didn't have parents – did you? And then Boss Baby says, "Tim, I may look like a baby, but I was born all grown up." And then he said, "You never had someone to love you." And then Boss Baby says, "Can't miss what you've never had." So hmm. I don't even know what to make of that. So right, but I
1: think, but but I think it's because you're still reading it as though it were real, rather than reading it as the paranoid projection of Tim.
0: All but, of but, it, but but Tim is the seems, paranoid projection, right? But Tim seems to be trying to make sense of it, even in in his in this kind of hyper real or surreal state right right and
1: so somehow the the image that he has created of this infiltrating baby is one that was manufactured that doesn't have the experience of love but that is just like this mechanistic business robot machine thing in the form of a baby and so it doesn't have that experience of love so it justifies the reason that business is exploitative or it justifies the reason that boss baby is cold and corrupt because he never had the family unit to give him that love so that that he never got to experience the harmony that tim is accustomed to so that's what then gives you the sympathy towards this boss baby right but he
0: never really seems to be missing love. I mean, he's a cold, hard businessman from beginning to end, basically until the end where he gets his promotion, but taking a crap on your gold toilet isn't all Well, he what's finds he, up find, he
2: finds out uh, what um he finds out what he didn't have. And then he's like, man, I like what I didn't have because I fa- I finally got it for a second well, again, or you
1: could think of it. That rather than just saying that he found it that way, again, this is Tim's projection. So Tim projects him as being this cold-hearted thing until Tim starts to come to the point that he realizes that maybe he's been too hard on the actual baby. Because let's, let's take it. The the, the point is, is that there really is a baby coming. And right. so this – this dream or this nightmare or um, or something <laughs> Let's call that it he's this nightmare that he's, proje- nightmare <laughs> that he's projecting um, is all based on this this fantasy that he's making up in his mind of how horrible this thing is going to be as it breaks into our our family unit. So all the attributes that we. That we see in Alec Baldwin's boss baby are just projections of Tim's own fear until Tim starts to become more adjusted to the idea that, oh, maybe I should be cool about this idea that another human is coming into the family. Yeah,
0: unit. I agree. That's probably that that's the overall message of the movie or. Th- uh, but I want to break down how the qualities of the boss baby reflect like what what specifically or how, how does a, a a baby who acts like Alec, ba- Alec Baldwin and Glengarry Glen Ross. How does that reflect anxieties about, oh, man, there's a new baby coming? Like,
2: Well, the first thing it reflects is, oh, that's funny. A baby's in a tuxedo. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. And what was your question? <laughs> the, 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 the question is
0: like, okay, so you know, you're know, you an only child. You've got a brother coming. You're probably scared out of your mind like, oh, man, what is this yeah. brother going to be like? How is it going to uh, fuck up my life? Mm-hmm. You know? How does a baby in a suit – Who's like super bottom line, hardcore businessman? You know, first place is a car, second place is, is some steak mm-hmm. knives, third place is you're fired. How does that? Uh, I, I guess I think
2: it all like, comes down to the, like like in terms. I'm thinking of the person that envisioned writing this movie, right? And and they're saying, okay. Let's uh, make this about the anxiety you have, you know, when a when, you know when a kid has an, uh, a, no, a, a I, I little agree. baby brother. I but, agree. but then and then and then that whole line at the very beginning in the setup, when with the whole uh, the this see this many beads. There's a finite amount of beads. Like just. That is the only reason he's a bit, he's a, he's the boss baby is is to oh, explain see. that you know like like it's it, the so finite it's love, like the finite if, love part okay, so, is so, so, that
0: so so Tim is saying I'm scared that there's only a finite amount of love and what if this new baby is just such a cutthroat capitalist exactly. and he's so good at getting to the bottom line he's right. just going to take all the love because that's what cutthroat business capitalists do is they just they close, yes. you know, Take and, it cook, off. and cookies right. are for closers. And if this new ba- if this new baby just closes on all my parents' love, then fuck, I have I'm going to be fucked. Yeah, but then <laughs> then the whole puppy thing, like, well, why is that even part of it? Like, they just have to find a way well, I,
2: I have a reading of the movie that— uh, Oh, like, please. Of, of, Thank you. Of yes. all this. Is, yes. Do you just think that—I think you can read the movie as one big elaborate way for him to explain to his daughter— how babies come from without talking about sex?
0: Yes, but why? It's all But, about, yeah, but then it why? all
2: exists just because he does wants to avoid having the sex talk.
0: Yeah, but you could do that without the whole puppy subplot. What does that have to do with anything? You can really you could, it, you could the, really just say the more that,
2: details, the more believable.
0: It's, so. So you're saying it's like Inception, where you can't just yes. say <laughs> that you can't just tell someone to think of elephants because then right they'll or not think of elephants because then they'll think of elephants. So if you Take a story about, uh, you know, a- accepting the love of a new family member. Then and you just hide in a bunch of dumb shit about puppies <laughs> taking market share of love. Sounds then they'll get the message. Yeah. Then they'll get the message. Yeah, and they won't question it. Yeah, right. and maybe
1: someone thought maybe someone in the writers room thought they were being really clever. Like, oh man, within the era of Instagram, people are sharing puppy photos and cat videos more than they are babies and. You know, maybe we, our priorities are all messed up and we need to strengthen the family. Maybe someone thought they were making like a cultural remark, but I don't know that it works like that.
0: There's uh, one part that uh, I thought was kind of funny when... And and I think is more to Austin's point of this movie being subversive and crazy. And I don't think that this is probably deliberate, but there's a part where Tim is reading to the Boss Baby and they're reading Hansel and Gretel. And Boss Baby says, let me get this straight. This story is about cannibalism and burning people alive. No wonder children are so messed
1: up. (laughs) And I'm like,
0: (laughs) yeah, like the fucking movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did wonder. I I was wondering if there was something they – Because that line does seem very intentional and almost thematic, right? And it's almost like they're trying to say that this movie isn't like that or that films shouldn't be like that and that we need to do better. And so what they're selling is a story of love, which, again, is a kind of weird thing, which to me, whenever I find that stuff like – and it's not subversive in like this evil – evil way but that's the point of what ideology ideology isn't overtly evil it's just it's subversive it's underneath the textuality of things and it infiltrates our minds and it makes people think a certain way and it affects us and it's not just boss baby like you don't watch boss baby and you're like ah i've been changed now and now i'm an asshole but no like it's it's (laughs) boss baby and then all of these other plethora of films and 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 images that you're going to kind of expose yourself to over over a lifetime especially as you're like a developing child and that stuff's what's, what's interesting is the film is trying to like pat itself on the back? I think, but really, I'm not so sure that it. I don't know, man. I swear, I was sitting there about a half hour before we started recording, and I was like, I think this might be one of the most subversive films I've ever seen. It's... Like, it's really weird.
0: I-, I read one review that I think put it really well, and he said this movie seems like it was written by parents who have a new baby and haven't slept in a week because of it and just throw together <laughs> this plot line that just seems like just they're barely even lucid while, while <laughs> writing it. And actually, I was thinking that, like, if in the end, which, by the way, like to talk more about that final scene, I just laughed my ass off and kind of rolled my eyes at the fact that they all of a sudden decided to contextualize this as just like, oh, this is a story I'm telling my daughter. And the daughter even says, like, essentially, he says, you know, she says, Dad, that sounds like a bunch of horse shit. Like, that doesn't even make sense. And he's like, Well, yeah, that's just how I remember it. Like, the movie has to apologize for the fact that it's shamelessly incoherent. But, um, <laughs> hey, at least they apologize. If it was like, you know, if it widened out and we showed a dad who now, like, the, the baby's actually home, you know, and, and they've, and him and his wife or him and whoever have been trying to, who, you know, have had it for a couple weeks and don't have any sleep and are trying <laughs> to explain through exhausted eyes and words why the girl should be excited about having a new baby brother, then I'd be like, oh, okay, that's funny. I dig this.
1: <laughs> yeah, and they, they kind of tried to than. do that, right? Like with the little wink at the end with the, the newborn daughter who is in the incubator or, or in the little, what do they call that room where the new babies, it's not a baby viewing room the baby viewing room and she's in her tux and she sits up and then she winks at the camera so it's kind of right. like oh they're trying to be clever there Well, then then reality so they, just
0: it just breaks apart <laughs> yeah. again because we just de- it all we just apart. yeah it's like An- the end another of thing Carrie. is that if if we're if we're going to and by the way everybody who's listening we know that you know this is probably very ill thought out and just <laughs> rushed through production and you know but we're still having fun interpreting this text. So, have we put more thought into this than the people who wrote it? Probably, but oh, it made a guaranteed. half a, billion, half a dollars. billion dollars.
1: It deserves to be talked about.
0: <laughs> so, if we're going to believe that Tim used this whole idea of the baby as a cutthroat Glen Gary Glen Ross capitalist, as someone who's going to once again close in on all of his parents' love and take it away from him, then doesn't it kind of destroy that point if when we're in the present and Tim's all grown up, his younger brother is basically just still a boss baby or he's basically just the grown-up version of that but he's still basically, he's real-life Alec Baldwin from Glengarry Glen Ross. Does that make sense? Because then yeah, the it's not a projection, say, it's reality.
1: Well, but we don't know if he's the exploitative, cold-hearted guy. Like, yeah, he's in the suit and I think he's on his phone or he has a phone on his hand so it sort of indicates that ah, uh, he does... He does kind of become this 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 grown-up version. But then what it, what I think it does is it, it justifies what I said earlier, where I think that Tim's actually right all along. His paranoia is justified, mm-hmm. that that it, it is really true that there are these other external pressures and that they need to be factored into when we understand family life, socioeconomic life, et cetera. And so that's kind of – that's there. Obviously, I don't think that the writers were trying to indicate that. But I do think that that would be a sort of psychoanalytic reading of it. So I'm not sure that it – changes it and says it's not just a paranoid projection but it sort of tries to play meta and that's why i think it's (laughs) sloppy the end is sloppy and it's it's like it's like it's trying to be meta but you can't try to be meta because when you try to be meta you end up being sloppy dangerous but but i will say (laughs) it's it's dangerous I, I,
0: I, i will say to austin's point it is relevant that yeah i mean we could say that uh all grown up boss baby boss adult if you will is still a cutthroat capitalist but he is, at the end of the day, there at the hospital, away from the office, awaiting right. the arrival of his new niece. You know, yeah. he, he has found a balance between business and family.
2: Exactly. Could you not say that, that that the fact that he's a, a, a true boss at the end, um, that it's not – Toby McGuire or Tim uh, uh, retroactively just thinking, you know, he, he's probably been he's probably had boss qualities or businessman qualities his whole life, and so it's kind of like him remembering his childhood with his business like brother, and then th- this is also the story to tell his. Well, see that's, kid, yeah, <sighs> I guess could
0: it could be, but that would be like so my. Obviously, in reality, if we're to believe that this film has a baseline reality, (laughs) uh, you know, obviously, the the business like qualities probably wouldn't come until the kid is in his teens at the very earliest. So we're meant to believe that he then contextualizes the kid's teen like uh, business predisposition and then applying that to the kid being born. That doesn't really make sense.
1: Well, or or he's taking the adult version that he knows who his brother is as fully grown Glengarry, Glenn Ross. And he's saying, hey, man, when your brother was a kid, he was an asshole. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but he's but he's doing it through like the modern day, like the grown up version of tension. So maybe it's actually about how Tim and his brother really fucking hate each other. And that that hospital scene at the end is just a bullshit story, because really, there's some serious tensions. And what you get is you get the sort of. Uh, the return of the repressed, the repression of Tim's jealousies <laughs> about the successes, the successes of Alec Baldwin. And so he projects it through this bullshit paranoid story about how ah he was coming to get me and he's always been a little asshole. So really yeah. he I mean, hates, he hates his fucking brother. At maybe the his yeah.
2: brother's the new colossal baby.
1: That's right. Well, I, th-
0: well, yeah, probably he's probably at the top. And you know what? I bet you that adult baby or adult boss adult, whatever his name is, he's probably going to have to put that little girl through college, you know, like he's the (laughs) one, he's the one bringing home all the bread, you know, and there's probably some resentment from Tim, you know, that, you know, now, and and probably Tim is going to be afraid that, you know, oh my God, like, you know, boss brother is, you know, the breadwinner. He's so successful. He's even going to be stealing the love away that from my children, you know? Because the because right. the children are going to be looking up to boss adult as like wow what this this icon of success, and but they
2: learn the lesson that there's boundless love.
0: I guess so. <laughs> oh, I, guess, I guess so. God damn. All right, so I want to ask you guys if there are any parts that you found funny that you uh, that you enjoyed.
2: My favorite part in scene was when uh, uh, was when they both were yelling "suck it." at each other with holding out the pacifiers.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Suck it! Suck it. Suck it. Well, we also need to talk about the fact that, yeah, like, Uh, sucking on a pacifier at a a certain tempo allows you to, like, have this out-of-body experience (laughs) where you transcend (laughs) to baby corp in the sky and allows you to experience the hustle-bustle without actually engaging with the people. Like, Yeah, fuck.
2: I would have loved for them to at some point just cut to the uh, adult Tim like explaining the story, like as he's explaining it, like okay, and then we're sucking on these pacifiers, right? And then my dad walked in, and then he walked
1: out. Yeah,
0: he just didn't get it. Yeah, that
2: that's that part was really funny, and I also loved all the Elvises. You yeah know, the elvises were good. Yeah. Were really I mean in funny. a
1: sense I think the pacifier thing is really funny too cuz when a baby gets that fucking pacifier they are they're gone man. <laughs> That's they like true. they go into that <laughs> heightened yeah, state really so there fun. is Loud something nine. kind of funny. Yeah. yeah man I I need to get myself <laughs> one of those. So uh, I mean, there is something kind of funny about that too. I don't know. I thought I thought that there were there were some cute bits. The animation was good. I mean, Ryan said it at the beginning. The first act, if you'll say, the first third. You know, I was I was relatively interested in the film. I mean, just from a plot perspective, it kind of had my yeah, attention, and then too. it kind of fell apart. I'd say about halfway through, or maybe two thirds through, but. um like the bit when they're when they're at the factory at Baby Corp and the one baby's obviously the oddball which I thought was interesting. I was trying to pay attention to that cuz every other baby you could tell was going to be like manufactured for love and then I was trying to figure out like what was different about this one. It was just he was facing the wrong way in the assembly line and all this other stuff. And I thought it was funny when they were going to put the pacifier into the baby's mouth but his butt was sticking up and um, and then you're like, "Oh, okay, that's a cute little cheap laugh." And that's kind of funny. And then there's the bit where they Another bit where they like powder his butt and he like farts and a little bit of puff of smoke comes out. And I'm yeah. like, okay, that's kind of cute because yeah. baby butts are cute. <laughs> yeah. and so, so There was a know, lot of baby cute, butt jokes, you know. A lot of baby butt jokes. Oh, yeah. but they killed yeah. in the theater. Oh yeah, I mean I like bet. even oh, even, yeah. at, even at
0: the end when he's sitting on his golden throne, you know, like the baby butt is particularly jiggly. Yeah. You know, and I felt like <laughs> yeah. uh yeah, that 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 plays well to audiences.
2: You know, it, it, interestingly enough, the on Rotten Tomatoes, the uh the tomato usually for a movie like this, you know, uh uh it's a really low Critic score and then a really high audience score, mm-hmm. but actually they're both fifty-two percent. I don't know what to make. It's of a that.
1: divisive movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I kind of wish I could talk to a couple of families and say, "Okay, parents, what did you think of this movie?" And then talk to the kids and be like, "What did you think of the movie?" I, I have like a feeling that this movie, baby, yeah. I have a feeling it played really well to kids because it had like, you know, the pirate. And then they're imagining that they're on the ocean and steering through that when he's learning to ride his bike. And he's half a billion in the dollars. Backyard. Don't lie, man.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the I know, kids man. love the shit out of this movie, obviously. Yeah. Well, Clearly. there were a couple jokes
0: that I actually really laughed at. Uh, one of them was when Boss Baby is dressed up like a puppy and uh. he's trying to go through that doggy door. <laughs> and he uh, yeah. he crawls past the security guard and he just turns to the security guard. And in just a very like nonchalant voice, just goes arf. You know, like like just yeah. kind of like a hello. That
2: gotcha. That got me. Um, but also in that same
0: scene, I also loved when Boss Baby's just throwing money around all the time. Like uh-huh. uh, even yeah. like a, a girl picks him up and he's like, oh, cute, a puppy. And then he bites her and then she goes, ow. And then like this whole stack of money just goes flying into the air and she goes, yay. I thought that was funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I- – it's not the worst film ever in that sense. It's, it's like a kind of, it's like a lukewarm film in just its plot. Right. Which is why I think I found it difficult to follow, because sometimes terrible films, I'm like, fuck, man, I got to see the rest of this train wreck, you know, yeah. but this one, it was kind of I was it, for some reason. Maybe it was like you said earlier, Jared, about it just didn't quite work like the imagination bit. It just for some reason, it just didn't come together for me. And so I felt it very sort of blah from a plot perspective. No, I mean, I think its themes are really interesting. and You could think about it actually a lot more than I think than is probably intended but um or probably than anybody ever wants to do ever ever again <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um yeah i don't know it was kind of it's a weird film to put my finger on i mean i, f- I found myself checking the time at the f- about the 50 or 55 minute mark quite a bit i was like how much is left in this fucking thing you know
2: yeah the um uh i will say that i really hate when kids movies kind of devolve into a big like, third-act chase scene, basically, from the big guy. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty mm. much exactly what this is. It, uh, it, they have a really awesome setup, and then they just kind of use the rest of the movie to be a pretty standard just running away from the bad guy
0: kind of thing. I also did, like, the muscular baby. I, thought I was he, just going to say that. He looked yeah. cool. He was cool. And then, like, you know, right before yeah. that third-act chase scene starts, we see him, like, dancing in his crib. I don't know. I yeah. just once again, I thought that's that's solid, I good physical too, huh? comedy. That got me good physical when comedy he, animation. When he's
1: he's running down the street after them, and he's going run, 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 run. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I
2: like uh, I like. You're a baby. You wear a diaper, and he goes. Do you know who else wears baby diapers? Astronauts and NASCAR drivers. It's called <laughs> efficiency. That's yeah, right. I
0: love that. That's right. I actually yeah, rewatched I mean, the Glengarry Gary Glen Ross scene. Bef- in preparation for this, because <laughs> someone had told me that there were just like Glengarry, Glenn Ross jokes all over the place. And really, the only one I could see is cookies are for closers. But um, yeah, and just the fact that Alec Baldwin is. Oh, like yeah. It. Well, I mean, yeah. I expected it to be more specific. Yeah. Um,
2: and, and also right after the efficiency line, it goes, the average toddler spends 45 hours a year on the potty. I'm the boss. I don't have that kind
1: of time to spare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird because we're talking about it now. Like, I mean, we've each mentioned a handful of things that we thought were pretty funny. So it sounds like there were laughs throughout, but for some reason – all of this is like packed into the first forty minutes, isn't it? Yeah, 20, I just think 30. that the movie the the movie yeah. works
0: because uh, whoever was in charge of the art the, the the guy in charge of the art department, the guy in charge in charge of animation, those guys were on their a game. And yeah. we're here, kind of analyzing a script that probably a lot less time and effort were put into.
2: I'm going to look up how many writers <laughs> run this movie.
0: I think it was only one. Who wants to guess? I
2: think really, it's just only one. one. I don't believe that.
0: Because I, I think it was literally just, let's find a cheap writer. I, I believe this writer probably had, didn't have too many credits to his name.
2: Okay, huh. you're right. Michael McClure's.
1: Usually there's like a fucking laundry list, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, especially for these animated films, right? Usually they have like right. a big... I mean, I'm, again, I'm, I'm kind of like what Jared said earlier, too. I am familiar with the Pixar films. And I love the Pixar films. I think they're genius. And they're all
0: very well thought out,
1: but they this also have a so ton much.
0: of writers on them too. I'm gonna guess. Well, like, yeah, yeah. But it, exactly. I'm gonna go ahead and
2: guess that there was def- more than one person that wrote, was on this movie that, but they just got credit. Well, we
0: have to distinguish between what happens when Pixar has multiple writers. When Pixar has multiple writers, it's because they have a writers' room full of master storytellers that are all right. weaving this thing together. But in most times when Hollywood has multiple writers. It's because somebody had a script that was like a crystallization of a good idea, then it gets rewritten by another guy, and then that gets rewritten by another guy, and it's just like and then a someone tons, comes of, in tons and... of cooks in the kitchen that don't even know each other's skills. There's a
2: dialogue rewrite. A dialogue action, rewrite, rewrite, action
0: rewrite. Yeah, like all that stuff, and it just becomes a hodgepodge of nonsense. I mean, that could be the case with this one, and only like one gets the WGA credit or whatever, but that's hmm. definitely different than Pixar. Yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe... Maybe there's something to that recipe that Pixar has with animated films. At least I think, for some reason, with live-action films, I'm not sure that the same recipe always works, and I'm not sure why that is. But if you have a, a room full of master storytellers that are spending three, four, five years just on the story craft, I mean, the the, the results speak for themselves. I mean, Inside Out is one of the most intelligent films I've ever seen. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's 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 sort of like exposition or exploration, if you will, of neuroscience or cognitive science is like it's pretty fucking scientific you right know? that's like the whole, so, the whole
0: premise or the whole conceit of the thing is that like we're characterizing or yeah we're like anthropomorphizing neuroscience i mean that's yeah that's <laughs> ambitious as shit for a kids movie <laughs> i know
1: man i know and i'm just not sure that other kids I'm, I'm not sure that other animated films necessarily have that i mean like i'm trying to think like you know the the how to train your dragon film or at least the first one was was pretty good um You've got some of the DreamWorks films that have been successful. I mean, I don't know which Shrek is obviously clever as fuck. Uh, I think they're all actually pretty good, I, or at least the, th- the first three are. This was, right? was, a, there a, this was one? a
0: DreamWorks film, right? This is probably the most successful film DreamWorks has had since
1: Shrek, right? Really? Yeah. I don't know the answer. I to don't that. know, man. Yeah. So I think the, the thing that I think was interesting is, is we've said it multiple times now, is that um, the film kind of lost steam at about the one seventeen mark, where it seems that the film is wrapped up, right? Like they defeat the bad guy and. Tim goes back to his family and everything's happy and then this whole other film starts to take place like a sort of – like an epilogue almost. And the tone, it kind of – when you reach the sort of denouement of the film and then you come back and you have resolution and the character has like the the sort of uh, – the, the transformation, it's hard to like pick up steam again. And for some reason, the last like – it was a long last little bit for them to be like, oh, hey – we also need each other. So why don't you come back and let's try to make this family thing work? Um, they spent a lot of time doing that. I felt like they should have. ending. Right? It did seem like that. So again, I think there was something interesting about how this film was constructed that also lent it to just not fully working for me. <laughs> but as interesting as that is, I feel like if you're like intellectually inclined and you want to do like a deep psychoanalytic read of paranoia, I, I say go watch the movie. As weird as that sounds. <laughs> watch Boss Baby. Yeah. I, I was just going to add one to, uh,
2: thing about Dreamworks animation you'd mentioned uh it's it's the, the Boss Baby is its 14th highest grossing movie. Man. Uh,
0: I guess I was way off. Whoa. And
2: uh uh which by the way um yeah so so and, and number 1 is Shrek 2 and then Shrek the 3rd and then Shrek Oh and wow. Then Shrek forever after.
0: <laughs> so it's a bunch of Shreks wow.
2: and then there's the How to Train Your Dragons, the
1: Madagascar 3, yeah. oh. Kung Fu Panda Crudes and
0: okay, yeah. so they've got a
1: they've got a number of hits, yeah. Which guess, is weird. Yeah, I, like, weren't they really struggling? I know they were selling their lot. A, yeah, for a while. I
0: I kept hearing about that that they were like laying off so much of their staff yeah. after some big tanks. Although I don't remember what it is, but maybe that's the point. They were such a big tank, I don't even remember what it is. I thought I heard that the Crudes was not a very big hit. But if we're saying that Boss Baby was a smash success for them with half a billion, and it didn't even make as much as the Crudes, then I don't really know what to think. All right, guys, well, we're going to wrap it up. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this. Definitely this test for us as we explore uh, movies that are not exactly in the canon of art house or profound cinema, or even what is largely considered to be exceptional or good cinema. <laughs> um, so definitely drop us a line. We're just opening up an email since we do not have a name for this podcast yet. Just drop us an email at movies at wisecrack.co, that's dot co, not dot com, and um, let us know what movies you'd like us to cover. Let us know if you would like us to cover more movies like Boss Baby and also send questions or comments that you'd like to make because we are going to start a mailbag at the end of uh, every episode. I want to thank my co-hosts, Ryan and Austin. Thank you guys so much for watching Boss Baby and discussing it with me.
2: It's another day at the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you, AJ. (laughs) Bye, film fans.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Bye, guys. Thanks a lot.